there. Uh, I know there's a lot of excitement going on there. Dave, what? share with me uh, and our listeners a little bit. Tell us a little bit about the David Hopkins story. Like, did you grow up in a Christian home or, or did you grow up uh, with without a family of faith? How, how did you get rescued by Jesus? So I was very fortunate and blessed to uh, have two uh, godly parents, um, and I grew up in the same church. We didn't move around or anything, so there's a lot of stability that I've been blessed with in my life that a lot of people, you know, aren't uh, fortunate to have. Um, so we've I grew up in Meridian, same town, um, and went to the same church. Uh, in fact, I was uh, saved in that church. Um, I was surrendered to the ministry in that church. I asked my wife to marry me in that church. I mean, that was that's my home church. Um, so my dad, uh, he was uh, he's a he was a deacon. Uh, my mom, kind of that you know Southern Baptist uh, salvation story, but it's not uh, cliche. But it, it did happen. Is uh, my mom uh, taught uh, uh, a discipleship training class. She sang in the choir. Um, anyway, they they just always had us in church, and um, so there was never not uh, a time that I was not hearing the gospel. Um, but even though you hear it every you know time you go to church doesn't mean that I responded the first time I heard it. Hmm. Um, but uh, when I was 12, uh, when uh, we had an interim pastor there, uh, Dr. Gordon Sansing, um, he was shared the gospel, and, and God was just convicting me of sin, of my need for Jesus. And uh, so I went down front and talked to uh, Brother Sansing and gave my life to Jesus uh, in February of uh, 91, I believe that was, um, and was baptized uh, right after that. And um, then, uh, so, you know, I kind of grew through the, the um, youth stage uh, in the, the youth group there at Westwood Baptist Church. And, um, and when I was 17, like I said earlier, uh, God called me into ministry. Uh, I felt him, you know, definitely drawing me to himself and kind of wooing me in that area uh, when I was 16. But it took, uh, you know, a year, year and a half before um, I surrendered to that, but uh, surrendered to the ministry and ended up uh, the first part of my ministry, uh, because all I ever done in the church uh, was I grew up singing with my mom, and mm-hmm. so that's what we did. That was sort of our thing, um, and so I would sing with her, and then I started singing by myself through the church, and um, and, and so I, I felt the Lord calling me to music ministry, and so I went to MCC, did music there, went to Mississippi College, did music there. Um, and then I went out to Fort Worth uh, at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary and did my master's in music there, um, and loved it. Um, still love music to this day. And uh, and so I did all that um, and was serving in churches in uh, Alabama, Arkansas, uh, one in Texas. Um, but when we were in uh, North Alabama, uh, God decided to move us back to Meridian, which I didn't ever think I would end up back in Meridian. Um, it was kind of weird just... Uh, you know, not that I didn't want to be back in Meridian, but at that time there were just a handful of churches that uh, needed a full-time, you know, worship leader or back then music minister. Um, but God had done this, I mean, just orchestrated all this, and and at first we didn't want to go um, before we even got to the whole view of call and all that. Uh, before even in the interviews, we just didn't think that this was something that we wanted to do was come back to Meridian, but... God, it was just one of those divine appointed times that both of us, uh, we were back actually for um, uh, a Sunday, uh, after, the Sunday after Katrina. Mm-hmm. And um, 
And the church there uh, at Midway Baptist Church had uh, no power, nothing like that. And we just worshiped with them. That's where my in-laws were in church, uh, had been in church there for years. Um, and as we were leaving Meridian, uh, neither one of us had talked about this, but we could see Meridian in the uh, rearview mirror heading <laughs> back uh, toward you know um, Tuscaloosa, Alabama area. And we just both kind of at the same time said, you know, I feel like you know God is really calling us back to Meridian. And so we did. We ended up coming to Meridian, and I was a, a ministry music associate pastor at Midway for several years. And during that time, man, God just began to really just do a work on my heart for um, the city and Lauderdale County. This is my home. This is where I grew up. This, these are people that you know I, I've done life with uh, most of my life. And God really began to change my passions from worship leading to uh, pastoral ministry and preaching and and went through that whole process, and uh, we planted a church here in Meridian, and um, that church is still doing well. Um, and But during the midst of that, after six years of being the pastor there, and I went back to seminary to do my Master of Divinity degree and I do, do all that, um, but God began to move again, and Highland called, and, you know, uh, I, I can't apologize about this because I'm waiting on God to, and his timing, and so was the search committee, but it took about a year before we even, you know, were comfortable enough to sit down with the committee to mm-hmm. begin to talk with them. Um, I mean, nobody plants a church and then you just want to, you know, pour all your heart and soul into a church and then, okay, I'm done. Um, I didn't want to do that. I, I love those people. We did life with those people, but it was clear um, into the process that God was um, working in this situation to bring us to Highland. And, you know, <clears throat> one quick thing, when we got to Highland, I mean, they were, you know, as a new pastor, people were just like, we're so glad you're here. We're so glad you're here, um, especially the first few months when all the momentum is going. And um, they're like, yeah, you're just who we need. You're just who we need. And, and that's that's wonderful. We love it. Um, and that's, uh, that's a blessing. But really after that, um, about six, seven months in, before COVID hit and all that, um, I remember telling some people from the church, I was like, you know, I know you feel like that we were who you needed, but really, you're who we needed, um, mm. and God did this whole work uh, in both of our lives, uh, the church life uh, and our life. Um, and so we love this church. We love serving alongside this church. Uh, we love trying to reach the city um, together uh, for the glory of God, and so we're so thankful to be here. Well, I'm uh, I'm glad you're there. It's been it's been fun for me watching because I you know I grew up in Highland. Uh, back before you were even a thought i mean i was like uh i grew up there in the uh, early 70s and uh, remember just there are people that have been there since when i was there and it, it, they've just been a family and what happened though over time that that you know that the, the community changes and as the community change you know you you just kind of watch church can adapt a lot of times or it can't and what i'm excited about what you're doing is you've brought some innovative things in there for outreach to outreach in the community around because uh a lot of what we see in america now as is almost a fortress mentality with the church instead of a go and be christ in the community and i want to talk a little bit about that with you david like we, we like you were a worship leader at Midway before you just planted the church. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. 
So when did God move in you to be the preacher, the proclaimer of his word? So about three years, um, a little more than three years into uh, our ministry at Midway, uh, I had been taking our students on, um, we, we would... We really wouldn't do the traditional choir tour. Um, we would usually do, uh, we may do a choir tour, but we would always do it with, hey, let's go serve. Let's, you know, find something to do missional-wise. Um, so we would do that. Um, and then the last uh, couple summers, what I had done with them, because we were kind of in uh, in between um, youth ministers and stuff like that. I mean, we would have somebody, and then um, they would, you know, move on or however it you know, would work. And then I would sort of step in until, you know, either we got an interim or until the next guy. So I was being able to spend a lot of time with our students. Um, and so part of that was I took them to two years in a row, two summers in a row, I took them to New Orleans uh, uh, Baptist Theological Seminary at a camp that they had called Mission Lab. And that's what we did. We got to worship together, but it was a smaller camp, so it's not like thousands of kids. There was probably, you know, maybe 250 of, of the kids in this one room. But excellent Bible teaching, I mean, passionate worship, that was good. But it was during the day that we were getting to go out and serve and be the hands and feet of Jesus and just minister to people in uh, the New Orleans area. Um, And so that really began to spark some things in me. Um, And so fast forward a little bit into uh, those. God's still doing those kind of things in me, just kind of creating that uneasiness of, you know, man, I, I love serving in the church, but why is it that I spend all the time in the church? I don't, I don't even know any unbelievers right now, no. um, and we do everything around a calendar. But why can't we do these things just as a lifestyle? Mm-hmm. These these kinds of faults are what's you know, uh, sort of going through my mind and heart as God's doing His work. And and uh, our pastor, uh, uh, Dr. Keith Grubbs, um, he uh, took another church in uh, another uh, city in the uh, state, uh, and during that time that we did have an interim to come preach, and he was already giving me opportunities to preach here and there um, when he was gone and, you know, in his absence and stuff. But during that time of uh, interim, um, I was, you know, the guy that was in charge, I guess, of the ministry of the church. Although we'd have somebody come in and do the preaching, I was in charge of the day-to-day ministry of the church. But that was the first time that I'd ever done anything like that. Um, And, man, I started doing that, and I started working with the deacons. We put the deacons on a a deacon rotation to be able to check on families, check on hospitals, just to help out and sort of build a team atmosphere. And I remember walking in one day, and I just told my wife, I was like, you know, I think God may be calling me to do this one day. Um, I don't know what that looks like or what I should do, but I kind of feel like God is really moving in my heart like this. And so we began to pray about that, and it took a while. It took a long while um, because we ended up – we we resigned the church, no fault of the church or anything, uh, um, but we decided to resign the church and start uh, a nonprofit um, for the city that would help churches do – uh, plan and kind of implement local mission, you know, outreaches and projects and stuff like that. At that time, in those years, it was 2009, 10, 11, those times, uh, there was a lot of international trips going on, um, but very few actually serving in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we wanted to kind of bring that balance back in, not as a church, but just as a, a resource for the church. And we did, and God, God just blessed that ministry greatly. Um, and out of that, 
came the idea um, that, hey, what if we had a church um, in our city that we have a lot of great churches, but they all operate kind of on the same, you know, mode. What if we had a church that was operated differently, that, you know, maybe met in a storehouse or, you know, was uh, gathering throughout the community throughout the week? Um, and so what, what kind of impact did we have? And so we that's where some of that came. But it took, Doug, it, it really took two-plus years before I, I said yes to God about, uh, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do what you called me to do, which is to go into start to uh, pastoring and preaching, um, and that was a long process, uh, and it was just a lot of struggle through there. I loved music. I mean, I loved worshiping uh, or, or leading worship, but it was clear that over those two years, God was really dealing with me and uh, going into a different uh, area of the ministry, um, and. But in the middle of South Georgia in Peanutville country at a little uh, house on a pond that had no TV, no Internet service, nothing for a week because I was in a revival down there, on Thursday is when I finally you know, gave up and said, you know what, God, that's fine. If you think I can do this, which I don't think I can, if you think I can do this, then I'm going to trust you and I'm going to follow you. So, um, yeah, so it really it kind of started there, and uh, we started the church planted the church. church was six years old, like I said earlier, before we moved to Highland. But that's kind of that journey that God just really kept dealing with me and trying to get me to trust him more and more, um, going some, going out of something I was really comfortable doing, which was leading worship, into something I didn't think I had any business to it. But God's like, you know, my power is perfected in your weakness. Just trust me. Um, and he has. I mean, he has shown himself faithful time and time again. And he, he, he also said, he who is faithful in the little things, uh, you know, that's the one that's going to be entrusted with larger things. And, Absolutely. you know, and, and planning a church is tough work. Uh, I've been involved with uh, several church plants over the years, and that is very difficult, tough work. And uh, I, I'm just, uh, but you learn a lot, and I know you have, and and I'm excited for you to share one of the things that I know you just did recently at Highland is you had this panel on witnessing as a team, uh, which we've kind of lost that mentality in the modern church, haven't we, that they had in that early church yeah. as being a team. Kind of talk a little bit about that concept uh, with our listeners for a second. That team yeah, sure. Um, so really what we – if. <laughs> There's uh, David Beck, who uh, I'm not sure uh, Dr. Beck is still. I think he actually is still on staff at Southeastern uh, Baptist Theological Seminary um, in North Carolina. But he wrote an article uh, probably around 2002-ish, 2003, um, uh, uh, academic journal uh, article. And, um, and in it, he was talking about evangelism, um, tracing it through Luke and Acts. And one of the things that he said in there just struck me so – I mean, it just, just hit me like a ton of bricks. And he was talking about, you know, that, yes, it's true that, uh, that you can't look through Acts, you can't, through look, uh, you can't look through Luke and see the church didn't have a strategy per se. They didn't have, you know, a, a, uh, a mode or a method to share the gospel. They didn't – you know, they didn't, of course, they didn't have E.E., they didn't have faith, they didn't have shared Jesus without fear. They didn't have any of these things, these tools – but yet they consistently shared their faith. Um, they consistently witnessed to people. They consistently did what they were supposed to do. And he makes this statement. He says, 
because evangelism was the lifeblood of the early church. And so I got to thinking about that, and I was like, man, that is so true, because, I mean, if we look at all the statistics right now um, that are the most current statistics that we have, whether it's uh, Barna put out a, 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 um, some statistics back in 2019 um, called Reviving Evangelism, and in that, I mean, these are just terrible statistics of where we are right now, but, I mean, they reported that 47% of practicing Christian millennials say it is wrong to share the gospel. And then in the same report, they also reported that uh, that 56% of practicing Christian adults, I mean, across the board, only share the gospel with two or fewer times in a year. Um, LifeWay put out their own, you know, uh, report on that and in 2019, and it's not gotten any better. And so what we're seeing is that if David Beck is right, and I believe he is, is that evangelism was the lifeblood. That's what was pumping through the early church. That's why it just naturally is overflowing and flowing out of them, is the gospel, is that I just made the contention that if that's true, and I believe it is, and we see the statistics the way they are, then the blood is pretty much all but stopped pumping in the American church, because nobody is sharing the gospel anymore. Um, and the reason why I believe that no one's sharing the gospel anymore is not necessarily out of fear. It's not because they don't know how to. It's not all these things that we like to say that are the excuses. Really is that if we go back to uh, Luke and Acts, the reason why people aren't sharing the gospel is because the people aren't uh, walking with Jesus as they should. They're not being filled with the Holy Spirit as they should. Because if you go back there and you look at the early church, man, they're walking with Jesus, I mean, spiritually speaking, but they're following him. They're doing what he says. They're building, they're cultivating that relationship. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. And what naturally comes out is the good news of Jesus, is the gospel. Um, and so we we put this panel together to discuss that. Um because when we talk about the gospel, when we look at it from a biblical perspective, um, one of the things that's pretty eye-opening to me is what we don't see much anymore, and that's team-oriented evangelism. Um, I mean, I went through uh, most of the gospels, um, and even if you go into Paul's letters and Peter's letters, it's quite interesting that um, that the times you see someone practicing personal evangelism, or I would say one-on-one evangelism, overwhelmingly, it's just Jesus. Yeah. And he doesn't do it all the time. But there are instances where Jesus does it, like John 4, you know, the woman at the well. Um, but ev- almost every other time when believers in the New Testament are sharing the gospel or are preaching uh, the gospel or anything like that, guess what we see? We see a team of individuals doing that, um, not just personal one-on-one. So I believe that we can still do personal evangelism. We want to make it personal, but it's supposed to be done as a team because we're stronger, you know, as a team. I mean, my goodness, we do we do any other ministry as a team. We talk about ministry teams um, or, you know, we want to disciple as a team. Well, why not evangelism? And, you know, historically we used to do it that way. I mean, we would send um, even in, even when I was a you know a kid, I remember guys gathering at the church. I, maybe it was a Tuesday night or a Monday night or something like that. They were given the prospects from the uh, previous Sunday, and but they were sent out as a team to go you know uh, introduce and, and talk to um, the the guests who had come, or maybe somebody had given them a name about a lost person. But they still did it as a team. 
Now, our days are different, and, you know, we don't really – maybe some people do that, and that's great if it works. Uh, but the method can change. But, man, the, the message and what we do cannot. Um, and I don't think the protocol needs to change of we do this as a team. And so that's kind of what we discussed the other night in three areas of leading the team. What does it mean for, you know, if we're going to have a church that is devoted toward team-oriented evangelism, then it's got to start at the top, right? It's got to start with leadership. Mm -hmm. So how do we get the leadership engaged in personal evangelism and growing in the Lord in these areas? Um, How does prayer connect us to that? Um, Why is prayer you know, the, the number one thing that we do when it comes to evangelism, other than actually evangelizing. Uh, so we talked about that. We talked about the second part, equipping the people. Um, you know, and Paul talks about uh, uh, that in Ephesians 4.11, that God gave all of these different ministers to uh, equip the body for the work of ministry. There's a two-way responsibility there. Um, as a pastor, I, I, I'm required, and I'm responsible for equipping the church, but the other responsibility is that the church is required that they're going to be allowed to be equipped. Um, so both have to happen. And so we talked about what does it look like for the church to live out that responsibility to come under someone who wants to equip them you know, in evangelism, um, and, and vice versa, the, the pastor or the church staff. How do we – what are the best practices – you know, for equipping uh, uh, the church for team-oriented evangelism. And then the last part we looked at was, uh, it's you know, it's great to, to lead, it's great to equip, but none of that matters if we're not sent and we don't go do. Um, and so we talked about the sending the team and what that looks like, some of the practical natures of uh, just living in lifestyle evangelism, um, living in this constant rhythms of life, just utilizing and leveraging those rhythms um, wherever we are, you know, to be able to have a conversation with someone. And so we talked in those three broad categories that night uh, about what it would look like for, I mean, for us, it was our church. What would that look like for Highland to be able to, you know, reach people, evangelize the city, evangelize the the county, or even across the world, but as a team. How do we do that as a team? Well, don't you think that um, that one of the reasons that we don't see a lot of evangelism in the church, I remember I saw one survey that said 95% of the people in evangelical churches that profess to be a Christian have never shared their faith with anybody. 95%. And don't you think that reflects on the leadership? Because if the leaders did it, that it would be more transferred to the members and because it's modeled to them? I think most likely it does. It it won't, you know, I can't say that in every case. I mean, no, there's exceptions, obviously. There's exceptions. I mean, the general rule is that, I mean, everything rises and falls on leadership. Um, And... uh, we, we've heard that so many times, but it's true, uh, is that if the leadership are not committed to it, if they're not discipling their people to do it, then they're not going to do it. Um, and that's the, that, that's, the, that's the case right there. And, um, you know, there was, a, there was a comment in the uh, – uh, as one of the panelists made, and it struck a chord with people. Um, and, you know, the, the panelists said – uh, you know, um, that if you've gone to church all your life, if you've sat in Sunday school all your life, um, and you've heard the gospel all your life, life, then you, you know, then, you know, if you're, if you're not sharing the gospel, then why not? Basically, what are you, what have you been doing this whole time? And 
part of that is true. I, I agree with that, is that if you, you do know the gospel, you don't have to have all these different tools. I mean, those things help, but you don't have to have those things. The early church didn't have them, and they seemed to do a, a pretty great job of uh, reaching their world for Christ. But on the flip side of that is that the church typically only does what it's equipped to do. Mm-hmm. And so if the leadership has come in and we only train our people to watch the show up front, yep. then guess what they're going to do? They're going to watch the show up front. Mm-hmm. Um, and so our job is to equip them for the work of ministry, not for the display of the show. Um, and so, uh, so I agree with you definitely to a point that the leadership has great responsibility here to grow in this uh, discipline of, of sharing the gospel, but to also uh, transfer that and equip the people so that they can do it. Well, you said you mentioned Ephesians four eleven, uh, where you know Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, mm-hmm. which they did had issues too. But he wrote and says, yeah. you know, that uh, God gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, and shepherds mm-hmm. and teachers to equip the saints. I, David, have you ever met an evangelist that wasn't excited about sharing the gospel? <laughs> I can't say I have. Okay. <laughs> So part of this, I remember growing up, uh, a, a guy, I remember it just sticks into my mind, evangelism is caught, not taught. It, it, it's, it's like, it's almost contagious when you're around people who are excited about sharing their faith and they're telling stories. I still remember this guy, you won't even know his name probably, but he was an, he was an evangelist on Bourbon Street named Bob Harrington. I've never forgot he came to little Baptist church and I was at and did a uh, did a deal and I, I could have listened to him talk all night. He was so excited about sharing the gospel with people and that's part of it. Hey, we got to go to our news break, David. We're going to be right back. I'm talking with uh, Reverend David Hopkins. He's a senior pastor at Highland Baptist Church in Meridian, Mississippi. If you want to know more about Highland, you can go to highlandbaptist.net. Go to highlandbaptist.net. Click on the About Us page, and you can learn all about the church and what's going on there. I'm sure David would love to have you as part of the team there to help reach those people in Meridian. So, Dave, we're going to be right back after the news break, okay? Hang with us, all right? All right, we'll be right back with more SWAT Radio. This program has the potential to reach millions of men each week. Also, there's a multi-vehicle accident to be aware of on I-95 southbound at the ramp from Emerson Street. Partly cloudy tonight, low 60. Friday, mostly sunny and windy, high 89. From the Traffic and Weather Center, I'm A.J. Highway to Eternity Ministries is a ministry dedicated to encouraging those who have lost hope and coming alongside those who cannot find peace and are considered unfit for inclusion in Christ's church. They use published works to teach God's Word and share encouraging testimonies of transformed lives. Highway to Eternity Ministries serves as a parachurch ministry that comes alongside churches to share its passion and commitment through spiritual writings, nuances, and experiences to everyone who has an interest in the teachings of Jesus Christ. For more information, contact Jeff Andrews at 904-436-5175. 
If you've been walking the same old road for miles and miles If you've been hearing the same old voice tell the same old lies If you're trying to feel the same old holes inside There's a better life There's a better life If you got pain He's a pain Hey, welcome back to SWAT Radio. It's Doug McCary of His Light Ministries. And I have my guest today is uh, Pastor David Hopkins from Highland Baptist Church in Meridian, Mississippi. And uh, David, I want to go back a little bit with you to the church you planted. I, I think it was called Love Now Community Church, right? That's correct. All right. So... Um, you know, when you started that church, um, you you say, at least you said, that, uh, you know, when, when it kind of started, it really started off with you just being a disciple maker, right? I mean, you were just meeting yeah. with some college students? Yeah, we were uh, meeting on Thursday mornings uh, early, and I'm talking like uh, for college students, it was early. Yeah. Um, we would meet uh, every Thursday morning at 6 o'clock, um, and we would prayer walk downtown. Um, and that's really was the catalyst uh, for that. We did that for, it was probably a year. Um, most every uh, Thursday morning we would meet uh, and just prayer walk. Uh, and college students kind of came in and out, but... We were there for the most part uh, every Thursday doing that. And um, while you were doing that, uh, and your your wife and you, your wife um, is it Rachel? Is it Rochelle? Rochelle, sorry. Yeah. My daughter's Rachel. Your wife's Rochelle. Okay. <laughs> uh, Rochelle and you guys, when y'all were doing that, um, you actually lived in some apartments because um, you did you did you self uh, build your house? So um, I was serving part-time at Faith Baptist Church as a, um, their youth uh, minister. But it was part-time. It was always going to be part-time. I mean, it's not the best thing to tell a pastor when they get a new pastor. But just, <laughs> you know, I, I told him, I was like, dude, uh, look, I'm here to serve, you know, in this capacity. But you just need to know from up front that God has called me to plant a church here in in Meridian. So when the time comes, you know that's that's how you know that's what we're going to do. Um, but he was so gracious, um, and so he did not require me to be at the church on Sunday nights, uh, which opened up the ability for us to uh, to start um, with these kind of home group meetings or a home group meeting in our own uh, home. And so yes, uh, so with that. Just another, I mean, I won't go into the whole story, but God's story of, I mean, just faithfulness, man, and his providence in this is that who builds a a, a six-bedroom house, because we have a large family, but who builds a six-bedroom house when you don't have a full-time job um, and your wife has... Well, that's what I'm interested in hearing. Her. I want to hear yeah. this story because <laughs> because you built it, right? Were you, were you subbing out stuff? So or? I was the, uh, my dad and I were the general contractors, Um and so uh, it, it was going to be a bigger house. You know, there were several reasons for that. We we have a big family, but we also wanted it to be a house that we could have larger groups in um, and be able to use it for however God wanted to use it. And so um, I had uh, I didn't have a full time job. I was working part time, 
and at the church. And uh, my wife, who uh, is a photographer, she basically went from part-time to trying to do a full-time, you know, job in photography, which, I mean, she knocked out of the park, and God just blessed that crazy, you know. Um, but during that time, so I, we were looking at uh, hiring a general contractor, and it was like, man, they charge, you know, this much percent, and that that's great for them, you know. God bless them. Um, but I was like, you know, my dad's a, a builder, um, and, uh, I mean, I'm not working full-time, so – I just we just assumed that role of general contract. So we were there all the time while they were building it, and we lived in the apartments next to it, uh, like through the woods uh, from the house we were building. And so we began to meet um, on a Sunday uh, night. Uh, we had we had a neighbor who had uh, two um, girls, a teenage girl and uh, kind of a toddler at the time. And uh, this this young woman uh, came from a uh, military background. Uh, didn't have the best relationship with her dad, um, and she sort of was raised Episcopal, but didn't really have anything to do with, you know, religion or anything like that. But uh, so we, you know, my wife and I met her, and uh, and uh, we invited her over, and we just said, "Hey, look, uh, we we love to get together on Sunday night. We'll we'll fix the food if you guys want to come over and." Um, we just gather and we want to study the Bible for a little bit. What do you think? And she's like, "Yeah, that sounds good to me." You know, so uh, they started coming over, um, and so that that kind of turned in to several months of them just we were just pouring into this family. Um, I mean, we really, you know, God just gave us a lot of opportunities to help them in different ways. Um, and but out of that, uh, uh, Sandy, this uh, um, the the lady, the mom, um, we were. Uh, after the church got started, um, we were able to baptize her in my mother and father-in-law's pool, which is just right <laughs> through the woods from uh, the other way from our house. But she, you know, we we saw her come to faith and baptized. Uh, in fact, she was the first person that we saw that God had done that in her life. Um, and but so the we grew. I mean, it was just us, Sandy and her family, and and my, our family in this. I mean, imagine having uh, four kids. So there's six of us in a tiny two-bedroom apartment. Um, it was uh, it was very fun. Uh, but, that, so, but that's where but you were meeting. Got, and 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 what I yeah, love yeah. about it is that David, you were you were in these apartments and you were reaching out to the people who were around you. What a concept! Yeah. you know, I mean, just yeah, I know, right? praying and <laughs> and reaching out to this single mom. Right? She was a single mom. I take it. Uh, yeah. it uh, sounds yeah, like she was. And yeah, uh, she was. And, and and boy, there are myriads of opportunities like that out there for us today as believers. It is. We just have to get up, get our eyes off ourselves, and look around. Um, there's people everywhere, uh, Doug, that just, they're not necessarily looking for help, but they need it, whether it's physical or not. They need spiritual help. Um, and this uh, young lady, she she would have probably been fine going her own way um, until she saw that, hey, you know what, there's something different, <laughs> you know, with this family that uh, keeps pouring into us, um, that keeps wanting to come and pray with us and pray for my kids. I mean, that it wasn't anything that we were doing to throw a lot of money into or anything like that. We were just trying to be disciple makers where we were, and God was honoring that. God was blessing that, and, um, and that's the way that that uh, – that church really began, um, and we continued that way and saw many people come to faith uh, just by being neighborly like that. 
Well, that, that that is really a great story, and I know that was one of the things that attracted the, the, the folks at Highland who were looking for a shepherd to come in and serve is that, that story. And, you know, David, I had the privilege of, of being in Highland a, a couple of weeks ago um, and by the way, I haven't, I meant to do this at the beginning of the hour. Thank you so much for caring for my mom, uh, coming to visit her in Jackson when she was in ICU over there and then coming by the house and for the way you ministered to my dad and my brother and their family and all the people at Highland was such, it was just such a, a to me, it was a, is a great uh, testimony of the body of Christ and what we should do as community and it's come around people when they're grieving and, and, and minister. And they did that and you did that. And I I really am thankful uh, for that. I know my parents uh, loved Highland. My mom loved it. And she's in church victorious now. (laughs) And uh, I I will look forward to seeing her, but um, your your church really honored them. Well, uh, honored her and, and took care of our family and and well, I appreciate that. Y'all were easy. Yeah, y'all were easy to love. Um, but even if you weren't, it's still our privilege to serve. I mean, it's such a privilege to serve the Lord who has done so much for us. But we get to do that in his name to someone else. Um, and your family is just so dear to our church. And so uh, we just appreciate uh, the opportunity that you, in me, just letting me have an opportunity to love on them. Well, when I was there... Uh, where where I was going with that, uh, but I, I, want, I meant to do that the first hours. I wanted I got a chance to hear you preach. I've been there. Usually, you let me preach when I come in. I'll preach there and do a message. But I, this Sunday that I was there, I got to hear you preach, and it was so encouraging for me to hear you open up the Word and and teach. And it ministered to me at a time where I really needed to be kind of fed and and ministered to and um and I, I loved what you taught there and i think there's a famine of this kind of teaching because th- there's a lot of dilution to um the gospel and the response to the gospel in our culture and i want to just ask you to speak to that for a second because going back to your message you preach from luke and uh you know, you, you talked about several stories, but one of the things that you stated, and you and I have had these discussions before, so it's not, I know it's not putting you on the spot. This is what you believe. But biblical faith, as we see in the Bible um, defined, is coming to Jesus. This is what you said, hearing his word and enacting. And a lot of people in our culture seem to think biblical faith is coming to Jesus and just hearing his words. Would you agree with that? <laughs> I agree that uh, I agree with both your points uh, that yes, that is what um, unfortunately has you know when people think of um, faith, it's if they do think of actually coming to Jesus, that's a whole other thing. but if Jesus is involved in the faith uh, principle, then it's a coming to Jesus and hearing Jesus, but the not you know the the inefficiency or the inactivity of acting on what he's saying. But you're right is that Jesus says that uh, in Luke six. It's not my definition. I'm just I just shared what Jesus said yeah. in verse forty seven. He said, "Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, well, I'm going to show you what he's like." 
and he talks about two different people. One's going to stand in the judgment, and one's not. Um, the one who built his uh, life on acting on Jesus' word, that's the one who's going to make it through judgment. The one who says, well, I came to church, I heard the word, but you didn't build your life on it, that person's not going to stand in judgment. Mm-hmm. And uh, unfortunately, the, the, the acting on those words is defined in a lot of circles today as legalism. And mm-hmm. and it's not legalism at all, is it, to, to act on no. his words? It's not legalism to to really want people to follow his words. When, it, when did obedience become legalism? <laughs> well, unfortunately, in some circles it is. It's defined as le- Listen, uh, David, I've, you know, I've heard people who said that if you want people to have a quiet time, that's legalistic. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, yeah. ha- I mean, God's word leads us and guides us and and throughout from genesis to revelation the whole shema thing in the old testament was a hearing that produces an action and that's why i loved your illustration that you did with your little uh demonstration of the pencils and the water bag you had this guy come out and the whole point i didn't know what you were going to do with that by the way uh because i thought i thought i thought you know usually what people do is they do the chair you know where they'll put a chair up there and they'll say if you don't sit in it but you're sticking pencils in a water bag doing a magic trick and i'm going i've never seen that before (laughs) where'd you learn that thing actually it was uh i think one of my daughters (laughs) she uh She's like, yeah, there's this, uh, there's this old YouTube uh, with this guy doing it, um, or she saw it on something like that, and I was like, oh, well, let me look that up, and sure enough, there he is uh, doing it, and I was like, that's, that's going to work uh, right, right in that spot. How, how many times did you have to practice it before I doing really it without busting it. in the water? I, w- I wasn't like lying when I said that on uh, the platform that I'd practice it. So I probably practiced it four or five times, um, and every time I learned something a way not to do it Um, so i'm glad that it worked the day that we did it and what we're talking about is he actually took three pencils and put them was it a ziploc bag is that what it was of water Ziploc bag filled with water took four pencils and you put the pencils all the way through the uh, bag and it doesn't leak Um, that was the craziest thing i i just was watching you and i'm like I didn't know how that was going to work out for you, but uh, it wor- it worked out good. But the guy was a good ho- – he was a good sport, the one you got to sit up yeah, there. He but he had to trust you in the process, and that was your whole point. He he was willing to do that. And so often I, I, I see in, in the American church especially that we will come to Jesus, we'll come to him, we'll hear his words, but then we fail to act on them. Because we, we 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 don't like where it takes us, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, even you. I mean, you love music. I mean, and it had to be scary for you taking that step into preaching, because preaching and music are a little different, aren't they? Very. And I was always, I mean, probably because I I had done it a lot longer and all that, and I was educated in it. But music came easy, and mm-hmm. I was very comfortable doing music. And when it came to preaching, I mean, I I can't tell you. Um, there are still days that I'm like, God, I don't I don't know what you're thinking because I'm not good at this. Like, <laughs> this is not something that I can do. In fact, I, I I've told the church this, and but I pray while I'm walking up, 
I'm praying the same prayer in my head that I pray every single Sunday. Mm. God, I can't do this, but you've called me to do it, so I know you'll do it. Mm. Um, and I just that's just, it, it is way out of my comfort zone. Mm. Um, and but God keeps using that, and He's building me uh, into someone who trusts Him. You know, more every single week that He calls me to do. Um, you know, and it's just like last week was crazy. Is that uh, just it happens in preaching world, but I mean, I can't access my notes. I can't uh, print my notes because my computer's not, our printer's down, so I can't print them. And I'm like, God, I, it's one thing to plan, you know, to do something for memory and, and not have notes to preach, you know, a, a message from no notes. But it's different when I didn't plan on this guy. <laughs> well, well, and I think, I think when I was there, uh, like almost two weeks ago, you said it had been a rough week. So you've had a rough few weeks with things it's, just it's, coming in huh? it's been a it's been a rough february but you know what god's good everybody's got issues and but man god has just been faithful and he shows up every single time to use that you know whatever that weak vessel is whoever it is if they will rely on him god shows up every single time yeah well i i want to remind you and i know you know this but just based on what you said that uh, when Paul wrote the church at Corinth, he told them, hey, I didn't want to know anything among you except Jesus. I was with you in weakness and in right. much trembling and fear in my speech and my message. They were not in words of wisdom, but in demonstration of this power. Why? Because, right. I, because he wants people's response not to be based on us. And not to be based yep. on our wisdom and our power. And I remember uh, one time one of my mentors a long time ago was sharing a story about a guy who I think Charles Spurgeon was mentoring a young pastor or something. And the pastor was so excited to preach. And he went up. He was all excited and ambitious. And he walked up and he did terrible. I mean, he, it was awful. And uh, he walked down dejected, humiliated, and, uh, I mean, just he just wanted, he, he just didn't feel like he could ever do it again. And Spurgeon said, if you would have gone up like you came down, you would have gone down like you came up. <laughs> he has a way of words, doesn't he? Yeah. Isn't that interesting? I mean, but, but it's true. I mean, like every time you open up, God's word. And I shared with our SWAT guys this past week, uh, even as a shepherd or whether you're teaching or preaching in our culture, people tend to look at David Hopkins instead of God's servant up there teaching me mm -hmm. that God is yeah. using. And, and that I, I really hope that we can, and I know some churches really try to stress that, but our celebrity culture has, has really made that metastasize more everywhere um but that that puts a lot of pressure on pastors today that i don't i mean earthly pressure the pressure we should yeah, feel yeah. is like you feel from god <laughs> you know that yeah, I, I'm, I mean, I'm his spokesman and and it's difficult it really is because it's a different day in preaching and and all of us feel it to some extent is that you know we have this you know, our flesh or the enemy, either one of those will attack you at different times. But 
the idea is, man, I, I've got to be as good as the person on the podcast that my person is going to listen to later. You know, <laughs> or i got to be as good as the guy on the TV that they're going to flip on when they get home or before they come. But, I mean, it's a lie, you know, from Satan and even in our own flesh that we have to attain to some measure of performance like that, and we don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is a real pressure that I don't think – I mean, it's, it's relatively a new – uh, development because of just the technology that we have at our hands now, and people do, you know, I mean, and I'm glad that they go and watch different pastors and stuff like that, because, I mean, as long as they're biblically, uh, you know, centered and you know, Christ-exalting, awesome, listen to them. Um, but we can't project that onto pastors who are, you know, servants who are, you know, doing the best with what they can with the time that they have to, you know, allotted to them. Hmm. Um, but, yeah, pastors do feel that many times. Yes. Well, um, you know, one of the things that uh, I appreciate about what y'all are doing there is that you really believe in discipling. You know, you want to see every member of your church family growing in their own character, but also discipling others who will disciple others. Right. And uh, boy, if, if we would just focus on that, you know, you and I were having a conversation the other day about um, the big controversy with uh, Saddleback and the women in ministry stuff. And um, I asked you, I said, can I, you know, would you be okay with me asking you about that? And do you remember what your response was to me? <laughs> I do. Um, <clears throat> I've got enough to deal with in our own area of ministry and making disciples to worry about what Rick Warren or actually yeah. Saddleback is doing yeah. out there. Yeah. Um, and look, I mean, everybody's got their opinion. I mean, yes, there's as Baptists, it's very clearly stated in Article 6 of the church document there. Um, so, or First Timothy 3. I mean, I, it would be you know, outside of Southern Baptist bounds to do what, you know, Saddleback did. But at the end of the day, I don't really care, because I'm trying to do what God's called me to do here, not get caught up in whatever's going on, you know, somewhere else. Yeah, and it becomes a, it does become a distraction to you making disciples who are going to make disciples, and that's what you're. You, you, you want to know the conversations I want to have? I had a lady who is um, in her. Well, I won't. <laughs> I, I think I could say she's in her thirties and four or forties, and yeah. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. But um, she came in. And she's like, I need to meet with you. I need to meet with you. So she and her daughter sat down, and her daughter's doing something on her phone over there. And um, But this lady is like, look, I mean, I really feel like she gave me this kind of long story. It's kind of, you know, going here and there. And she's like, I just don't know what to do. And I, and I called her by name, and I said, well, it sounds to me like God is calling you to disciple some young ladies that are in the youth group. And she kind of sat back. She goes, huh. I guess you're right. <laughs> but so we had some great conversation after that. It's like God had really been working in her. She just didn't know how to filter that yet because it's so foreign in the church, unfortunately. Isn't that crazy? When we talk about making disciples. <laughs> I mean, I know. To, to make and, disciples who, and even, even churches that are making disciples, a lot of times are making them just to grow in their own spiritual maturity, but not yeah. to reproduce other disciples, which That's is... Right. And so she had... <laughs> well, she was having this heart for, you know, man, I really want to pour into these young girls, and I really want them to teach them to love Jesus like I do. And I'm like, 
you're talking about making disciples. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's awesome. I mean, I'll have that conversation ten times. I hope I have that conversation a hundred times in our church. You know, a hundred times more than getting to talk about what Rick Warren or Tidalback or whatever church is doing out there. I, I and that's you. the stuff that we get excited about. Well, and and David, that's one reason I wanted to have you on too. Is I I wanted people who are listening in our Meridian listening audience and in the surrounding area to hear from you. And, you know, I know you don't want to church steal. You're not into church stealing. You want to see people that are looking for a church home or church family. Um, What would you say to somebody out there who's not part of a church because they feel like, well, the church is irrelevant. You got one minute. The church is irrelevant. Uh, You know, the church is messed up. And I really, I just have my own relationship with Jesus and I don't really need to be anywhere. What would you say to that person? Well, number one, it's going to be really hard to love Jesus, and if you don't love his people, you got to be somewhere. And so we're not a perfect church, but we're uh, serving a perfect Lord who is perfecting us along the way. Um, and if this person was part of this church, my number one goal, which is a lot of, a lot of pastors, my number one goal is to get you ready to meet Jesus, that when you see him, he's going to be able to say, well done, good and faithful servant. If you're doing life on your own, that's not going to happen. But if you will connect with a local church and let that pastor, let that staff, let others that are in that church mature you so that you can pour into other people, so that you can disciple other people, you'll hear that one day. Well done, good and faithful servant. Mm, well, you know, that that's great. I'm so thankful you shared that. And guys, I'm talking to David Hopkins. Listen, if you are in the Meridian area, um, please check out Highland Baptist Church. Um, you can go to their website, highlandbaptist.net, highlandbaptist.net, to find out more information about what's on their calendar, things coming up. And uh, David, blessings to you. Thank you for being our guest today. Thank you for your support of uh, His Light Ministries and this radio program. And uh, just continue to pray for you and the leaders there in Meridian, okay? Thank you, Doug, and thank you to all your listeners. All right. Hey, I hope you'll uh, go to SWATradio.com and check out this and any past program. You can just click on the past programs link. Brad will be in studio tomorrow with David Gray, and uh, I'll be back on Monday. Have a great weekend, and uh, God bless you. WTRJ, Orange Park, Jacksonville. WAYL, St. Augustine. WATY, Folkston, Georgia. Online at ilovethetruth.com. With SRN News, I'm John Scott. Retired U.S. Navy Admiral James Stavridis cheering news that Ukraine recently defeated Russia in a major tank battle. Bob Agnew with that report. Admiral Stavridis says several things.